Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. The resurrection of Jesus Christ stands at the heart of the Christian message. In fact, the Apostle Paul put it this way in in 1 Corinthians 15, passing down a tradition, he said, I I deliver to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Our text in front of us is Matthew 27, verse 57, and we'll go all the way through 28, verse 20. And, and this is Matthew's account of the, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. As, as I read it, look out for um, things that indicate the historicity of this event. And not only the historicity of the resurrection, but also its significance for us today. Starting in verse 57. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary, sitting opposite the grave. Now on the next day, the day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver said, After three days I am to rise again. Therefore give orders for the grave to be made secure until the third day, Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He is risen from the dead, and the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard. Go, make it as secure as you know how. And they went and made the grave secure, and along with the guard they set a seal on the stone. Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guard shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here For he is risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. 
Now while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say, His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews uh, and is to this day. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There are three details uh, in uh, this account here uh, that are relevant for us in thinking through the historicity of the resurrection account. I mentioned earlier that uh, some people find it difficult to just accept the very idea of resurrection because it's not something that we see every day. And yet there are all sorts of things which I've never seen or that are very rare, and I can't Uh, a priori, that means uh, just automatically uh, rule them out uh, from possibility. Uh, There are features in this account which strongly point to the historicity of this account. First, we have this well-known tomb by Joseph of Arimathea. Now, it's significant that Joseph of Arimathea takes down Jesus' body and hides it in one of his tomb, in in his own tomb, that had been unused. Uh, Craig Evans suggests that this is uh, probably because Jesus, since he died a criminal's death, would not legally have been allowed to have had uh, an honorable burial. And yet, uh, any follower of Jesus would not want to have seen his body just thrown into a mass grave of criminals. So an unused tomb would have been kind of like neutral ground. And yet it's important from the perspective of historicity, because if Jesus' body had just been thrown into a pile with others, then uh, identifying that he wasn't there anymore would not have been so significant. It could have just been lost amidst a bunch of others. Now, the person of of Joseph of Arimathea is interesting. The, The other gospel accounts tell us that he was a part of the ruling Jewish body of the Sanhedrin. I mean, you can't help but notice that Matthew has uh, conveniently omitted that detail. Because from Matthew's perspective, he's much more stereotypical. The Jewish religious leaders are bad guys. And God has come to, to do away with the uh, religious leaders and will replace them with new leadership. And so he just kind of conveniently uh, steps to the side and omits that detail. Uh, but from a historical standpoint, this is really significant because the fact that the early church would have just made up this character is highly unlikely. Uh, If they were going to make up a story about what happened to Jesus, they certainly would not have picked one of the stereotypical bad guys to be the hero when all the disciples are gone. 
The fact that uh, somebody from the Sanhedrin steps in and provides Jesus with an honorable burial is best explained from the fact that this actually happened and Jesus really was buried in a well-known tomb. The other uh, observation that's significant from a historical standpoint has to do with the witness of women. Again, trying to think of this from a first century standpoint, um, if you were going to make all of this up, like some people think happened, that a bunch of men just came together and created this story, uh, the people that you would decide to be your primary witnesses certainly would not have been women. From a first century standpoint, women's testimony was not viewed as reliable. Uh, This chauvinistic attitude is rightly rejected by, well, at least it should be by many people today, but it wasn't in antiquity. And the fact that that's the way the Gospels record it is um, best explained by the fact that that's actually what happened. The most significant piece of evidence uh, from this account, however, regards the empty tomb. And that's what Matthew really wants to present before us. Clearly, the tomb was empty. And he records for us uh, the explanation by the Jewish leaders that the disciples had come and stolen away the body. Now, this is an incredibly unlikely scenario because the the disciples are willing to pay for this belief with their very lives. When they just as easily could have said something like uh, they could have explained Jesus' message without the resurrection. And they could have seen Jesus just as a martyr who would come back to life at the end of time or something like that. The fact that the Jewish leaders even had to make up the story that the disciples stole the body can only be explained by the empty tomb. Uh, The evidence points toward the fact that Jesus was not only buried, but that he was buried in a well-known tomb by Joseph of Arimathea, that he was pronounced alive by a group of his women followers, and that also that that tomb was empty that Easter morning. And again, the best explanation for all of those facts is that Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, thinking about these historical facts is, is interesting because... If we were to look over in Luke's account, uh, we have the disciples being presented with all of these different historical facts, and yet they're unwilling, they're reticent to actually believe in the resurrection, even though Jesus had told them about it. And and, and similarly, a lot of people today are hesitant to believe in Jesus' resurrection, even though a person, an apologist, might present all of these facts to them. But it's because they lack the right theological framework for understanding why it is that Jesus rose from the dead. A person is much more likely to believe in Jesus' resurrection if they see this as the climax of God's big story of what God has been doing in the world. That this has been predicted by the prophets generation after generation. That Jesus himself predicted it. That it is the answer to all that Jesus came to do. He came to inaugurate the eternal age of the kingdom and he does this through his death and resurrection. Seen in that theological light, then uh, the, the, the cross and resurrection are entirely sensible. So that's a little bit about the historical uh, significance of uh, the resurrection account that we just read. Let's spend a little bit of time thinking about the modern significance of the resurrection. 
What do people do because Jesus has resurrected? And what does that mean for us today? Well, twice in our passage, uh, we discover that uh, the resurrection is a call to worship. The women see him, and so they worship. And the disciples see him, and yet, and they also worship. Now, Matthew's gospel um, explodes in the use of worship language, especially compared to other uses in the New Testament in connection to Jesus. Far and away, uh, this word for worship is used of Jesus more in Matthew anywhere else. And Matthew is specifically the one who says, uh, it's also in Luke, but it's specifically there in Matthew, in chapter 4, when Jesus is being tempted, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Human beings, according to Matthew, should not be worshipped. That is something that only goes to God. And the fact that Jesus is rightly worshipped here in Matthew 28 shows that he is the object of our faith as divine. Not only is the resurrection a call to worship, it's also a call to faith. The stone is rolled away, not so that way Jesus can get out, but so that way the women can see in and they can believe in the resurrection and they are witnesses to this. And yet it's interesting that in this passage itself, we're told that while they worshiped, they also doubted. Um, This is an encouraging thing uh, about Matthew's gospel. All along, the disciples have been called those of little faith, people who are struggling along the way, who don't fully get it. And yet, um, they're called to faith. They're called to great faith. But even though their faith sometimes fails, that doesn't stop them from being one of Jesus' genuine disciples. And in fact, it's these worshiping Uh, failing disciples who are then commissioned. Not only is there a call to worship and a call to faith, but there's also a call to mission. The resurrection means that Jesus's mission is over, and yet he will also, because he is resurrected, always be with his disciples as they carry out the great task of teaching others who teach others who teach others. The great commentators, um, Allies and Davison, put it well, universal lordship means universal mission. Notice the all-important word, therefore, in the Great Commission. Go, therefore. Because Jesus is the cosmic Lord, ruling over the entire world, that means everything belongs to him. And that means everyone should be one of Jesus' disciples. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus, you have your marching orders. Go and make disciples. Obey everything that Jesus taught. Knowing that you'll fail, he'll forgive you. Get up and continue on following him and bring others along with you. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partners.